Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factor, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Ding. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. That ding just makes me smile every time. I love it. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. My guest is Clay Buck, and we're going to be talking about storytelling and data and donors and really where the three intersect so that you could better listen to the stories that your donors tell you so that you can respond and engage them accordingly. So let me tell you a little bit about Clay Buck. He is the founder and consultant at TCB Fundraising. He is a 30-year fundraising veteran, having spent an equal amount of time as a frontline fundraiser as he has as a consultant. Boy, that really makes him sound like he's been down in the trenches of this fundraising war, which I kind of understand. He has experience in all aspects of fundraising, with particular expertise in individual giving and building the systems and infrastructure that support high-level results. He is the founder and lead consultant for TCB Fundraising, an individual giving fundraising consulting firm. He has held leadership roles at several nonprofits across the country and at major national fundraising consulting firms. Clay holds a BA from the University of Georgia, an MFA from Michigan State University, and a certificate in professional writing from the University of Chicago. He earned a certificate in philanthropic psychology with distinction from the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy and is an AFP master trainer. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Clay describes his superpower as building the processes and systems that create strong individual giving programs. And with that, let's bring Clay on to talk to us about all of those things. Hello. Hey, Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to have you on. I'm looking forward to hearing all of the wisdom that you're ready to impart oh, on us. But first, I did read that you have your MFA. I do. And I happen to know you're a bit of a theater nerd like myself. Mm -hmm. So no pressure, Clay, but why don't you tell us your story? Uh, yeah, I started out to be, uh, an actor. Um, I did, I mean, really when I was an undergraduate, I did an internship at a small summer stock theater in North Carolina. Um, and my internship was running the box office and, you know, Hey, so you bought your ticket. Do you want to give 25 bucks, 50 bucks, hundred bucks to support the theater with every ticket sale? Um, and fast forward, finished my master's degree, moved to Chicago and realized that, Hey, I hated auditioning uh and b the 300 that i had in my pocket was not going to be enough to sustain this lifestyle so um i wound up getting a job as a grant writer and sort of made the connection oh this business of fundraising is the same thing that i was doing at this theater uh okay made the connection and as they always say if you find something you love more and can do better go do it so i did um and that was in i mean yeah so that was 30 years ago that i started doing that and then just through that process developed, I mean, I, I've done somewhat everything from being a grant writer to special events to corporate foundation and really developed a love and an affinity for individual giving, particularly at the low and the mid range. Um, so have really zeroed in and focused on that as kind of where the, the area of fundraising that I love the most and, and, and work in the most. All right, not bad. That's a good story. And not bad. <laughs> I'm a theater snob, Clay. So I, not know. bad for me is one of the highest compliments you could possibly get. Oh, okay, all right. Kids. Well, there we go. There we go. Yeah. No, but it had a good opening, a nice hook, middle, and I like it. 
I like it. You're a good storyteller, Clay. I do try. I do try. So that's your story. Now you're working in individual giving programs, helping uh, organizations develop, optimize, do all of that kind of stuff. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing out there in the trenches. Um, yeah. So when when I started my own firm a, a couple of years ago, and again, a chief development officer, I've been on the front lines. I also worked for a couple of different consulting firms um, as well. So I've kind of seen both sides of the equation where I really focus is building strategy and the infrastructure and process for individual giving. And I, I'm... Volatility is the wrong word because volatility implies some some negativity. It apply, implies, or at least it does to me. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of volatility in individual giving, and a, there's there is a ton of um, great technology. There's a ton of great strategy. There's a ton of information and learning and i am seeing a lot of let's try this let's do this let's adjust this we can add this we can do social media we can do this streaming we can right so there's a whole lot of noise where i'm seeing the real success is defining strategy and using data to tell us which way to go right looking back at that historical data and historical donor behavior to tell us what's the best strategy for us, which direction should we go, and where should we be implementing the most? And the way I frame it is because you know we're both we're both actors, we're both theater people. Um, we talk a lot about storytelling and the stories we tell our communities, the stories we tell our donors, how we're telling the story of our case for support. Um, I kind of frame this as what's the story the donors are telling us, and they're telling us those stories by what data they provide, how they behave, what their giving patterns look like. They're telling us their stories in a whole lot of different ways. It's on us to really be listening to it and to be looking for what those stories and how they're informing how we work with and talk to our donors, right? Yeah, so first of all, I think it's great that nonprofits are out there experimenting with all these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I encourage them to do so. I do feel like, and maybe this is what you were implying, there's a lot of let's just throw things at the wall and see what sticks right. rather than a concerted strategy right. for their online engagement, for their uh, efforts. So a bit of a catch-22, good on them, but also now let's take it to the next level and really um, sharpen our focus and yeah. our approaches and actually use data to see what's working and what's not right. working. That's a whole other level. That's step three, let's say, but uh, we'll, we'll all get there, I hope. So with these stories that donors are telling us, first of all, what are you seeing? Are there any trends right now in, in data that you're seeing? What kinds of organizations are you even working with at the moment to, to pick this up on? I, and I personally, I work with um, a wide range. So I have everything from large scale programs with hundreds of thousands of records to, you know, the small nonprofit with literally 250 records. The trends seem to be the same across the board. Here's the fundamental thing. Um, and especially if we look at giving over the last year, um, donors care. There's a lot to care about. And in many ways, donors are trying they, they are trying to exercise their philanthropy. They're trying to exercise their caring by giving to us. They might, well, they're not might, it's not might. They just, they aren't following our rules. So they're not necessarily behaving and saying, 
you know, I give year over year, so I fall into a clean retention rate analysis. They're not following standard paths of upgrading, and they are definitely not following standard paths of channel behavior. So, you know, they're giving online, they give via check, they come to an event, like they're all kind of over the map. What donors are saying to us is, I care about you, but I'm doing it on my terms and in my ways and in the way that makes the most sense for me and my family. Um, to do it. One of the biggest trends that I see, so uh, one of the services that I offer and do, um, and I do a lot of them, is database audits, uh, where we really dig into the data and look at the giving trends over as long a history as we can get. One of the biggest trends that I see in every single file that I look at is what I call consistent but not consecutive. So a donor will make a couple of gifts in one year, and then they take a year off, and then they give another gift that's higher than the last gift or lower than the last gift. And then they take 18 months off, and then they give three gifts right in a row. And right, so when we look at it over the history, they don't necessarily behave in what our standard segmentation would 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 define, right? We tend to think, right, current donor, lapsed donor, long lapsed, libunt, sidebunt, and those have very strict definitions, whether it's a year or 18 months or so forth. When we look at it historically, we see donors coming in and dropping off. And, and what happens if we if we standardize our approach, we're treating them like you're a current donor or you're not. So they're giving and they're 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 actively engaged with us how they want to be engaged but we keep shifting how we think about them because we're not looking at them long uh, from a longitudinal perspective and the biggest point there is in the testing and in the analysis that that i've done and that i'm seeing those folks are out there walking around going of course i'm a supporter of course i'm a donor i believe in taking care of right? Whatever the mission is. In their minds, they're loyal supporters. In our minds, they're lapsed donors. So, so how do we shift our approach to approach them the way they think of themselves? So it sounds like even though you're analyzing the data, you're saying that they're not points of data, they're actual humans? That's, that's it's shocking, isn't it? Right? Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. as humans, I'm sure they've got their, their lives beyond our organizations, Mm -hmm. And they've got their concerns and their priorities beyond our organizations. Many priorities shifted over the last couple of years. A little Absolutely. pandemic swept through the world is uh, still kind of here. Um, and so I'm sure that shifted a lot of patterns as well. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of consistency in terms of people went away and they're coming back? Or is it really down to the individual it's really down to the individual. I mean, a, a lot of organizations, many organizations were very short, fortunate to see kind of an uptick um, during the pandemic, right? Some crisis giving, some I need to feel agency, I need to feel control, I'm going to give to a thing. So I think we're still kind of evaluating what those kind of one-time donors look like and how they behave. But we there's always something, and I don't mean to minimize the years of the pandemic, but there's always something that might drive, right, this 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 increase in, you know, one-time gifts or caring gifts or, you know, crisis giving, quote unquote. The question that we really have to look at is who are the donors that keep coming back to us in different ways? Who are the donors that are sticking around, around with us and through their behavior and through what they provide to us in terms of data are 
telling us that they have a loyalty and an affinity that we might nece not necessarily see. And, and I will also add, it's not just giving behavior. It's actually what data they provide us. Because it's, it's a whole lot easier now to just then drop my name in, right? I can, I can drop my name. I can fill out my credit card information. I can do this. I can do giving really quickly. I can, there, there are a whole bunch of different ways that I can send a gift super fast without giving it. But if a donor is taking the time to give us their name, their email address, their address, their contact information, they're filling out forms, they're responding to surveys, whatever it may be. If a donor is taking the time to share that information with us, what they're, what they're essentially saying is, hey, Boris, I want to hear more, right? I'm trusting you with my information. I'm trusting you with my name, with my contact information and saying, tell me more. And they're waiting on us to respond to them. Yeah, so oftentimes the donor doesn't receive a lot of consistent communication and engagement mm -hmm. um, and might therefore drop off, become a lapsed donor. And it just looks like a data point that, you know, blipped off a switch off rather than trying to look at what the causality underneath that might be. I want to come back for a second to uh, what you were saying in terms of uh, COVID giving and mm -hmm. how some organizations definitely saw upticks uh, because of the need that was presented during the pandemic uh, and the challenges that communities were facing. I think, and maybe you could confirm or deny <laughs> this in terms of the data you're seeing, but to me, it feels like people who already cared about specific organizations, those are the organizations they turned to back to, to support and give more to when they were worried either that the organization wasn't gonna have the funding that it needs, and I saw this mm -hmm. a lot, or when they thought, oh, this community needs help, instantly they associate giving that help with the organization that they already believe in and trust. Does that sound about right? It sounds about right. Um, I. I have no data to support this. So this is purely anecdotal, kind of what I've seen from organizations that I work with, kind of what I've seen from the community that I live in. I, th I think the overarching statement is that giving, the act of giving gives donor agency. It gives us the ability to say, I feel out of control. I acknowledge that this huge situation is, is, is happening. I want to do something about it, but I'm in lockdown. I'm 5,000 miles away. I'm trying to deal with my own family and, and my own job, but I, I care and I'm concerned. I want to do something. So the act of giving gives us and gives donors some level of control to be able to say, I did something, right? And I feel good about myself. More than likely, donors that, that increased giving during the pandemic, and this is true of you know any crisis giving, when you see a hurricane, a natural disaster, uh, times of national tragedy, and anything like that, it, people are giving to something that gets to their core identity and their core values, who I am as a person, the things that I care about on a daily basis that I see myself as kind and thoughtful and caring and generous in these areas. For me and my family, that's that's animal rescue, right? That is that is our go-to when we feel we need to do something we we go to. And then the organizations who told really good stories to donors who didn't know about them or the work that they do in the midst of crisis, in the midst of anything, right? 
give introductions to new ways to, to capitalize kind of on that feeling. I do think donors tended most to go either to organizations they already cared about or to organizations and missions that had very, very, very clear, identifiable impact on the situation itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up that donating uh, makes them feel like they have some sort of agency, like it's something that they can actively do because that's talk about storytelling. That's something I talk about all the time. You know, you are, your organization is empowering somebody to become a hero who may or may not feel powerless without the work that you do, without being able to donate to you. I don't know that I could affect the uh, food shortages in certain communities without being able to donate to you. I don't have the ability while I'm in lockdown, as you just said, to make a positive change in the world. So you're allowing me to be a hero under these circumstances. That's Do you know the starfish is. story, that old sort of anecdote? Let me, if, if I could, let me just, you know, really Please. quickly, right? Uh, a, a guy goes down to the uh, to the beach at, at, at sunset, the tide has gone out. Um, and there's another man, an older man on the beach and he's walking down the beach and all of these starfish have washed up and as the tide washed out, it left them stranded on the beach. And this older man is walking along and he bends over and picks up a starfish and throws it back in the ocean so that it's in the water. Otherwise it's gonna dry up. And the guy watches him do this and he's doing this starfish one at a time. And he finally goes up to him and he says, look, why are you doing this? There are literally thousands of starfish on this beach, you cannot possibly make a difference for all of them. The guy bends over, picks up a starfish, throws it back into the ocean and says, made a difference for that one. And I think that's what donors are telling us. And this, again, this is why I love the low and the mid-range donors. I think these donors are saying to us, I, I'm out of control here. I can't control this global situation, but you know what I can do? I can feed one person. I can rescue one dog. I can educate one child. You know, and, and this is a place that I already care about and I can t I, I can exercise a little agency, a little control and make a difference for that one. I really believe that's what donors are telling us. Our response then is how do we reinforce that feeling for them in their giving? Mm -hmm. I love which, that. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go no, 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 go on. Uh, no, which, which. Uh, again, I go to the patterns that donors give tell us a lot about how, see, I don't think don't, donors, I don't think I know, donors don't care about our fiscal year, our annual year, donors give when they're going to give. Our responsibility is to make sure they have the pathway to give, they have the opportunity to give. I don't think, I, I do not talk about asking donors. I talk about creating an offer. I talk about creating an invitation. That's what we're doing. Whatever platform, whatever channel, however we're doing it, we are creating an offer for them to make a difference in the world, or we are inviting them to be a part of our mission, inviting them to be a part of our visions and creating pathways to make that easier for them. We're very good at sending out multiple emails, multiple whatever platform we're using, we're very good about putting that multiple times and giving donors a lot of ways to say, no, not now, not yet. They're giving on their timeline. And when we, again, when we look at their behavior in it, and I've done hundreds of these by now, if not thousands, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> in every data file I look like there, look at, there is always a core group of donors, a, a small-ish but significant percentage of donors who 
give multiple times per year, give every other year. They're giving on their schedules because they're not, they're not think in their minds, they just gave like they just, you know, they just gave. In our data, it was 14 months ago. So now they're a lie bunch, right? Um, I think if we start to construct some of our segmentations and some of our approaches in acknowledging that, you, Boris, you've been one of our most loyal and generous supporters. We were just going through our records and, and seeing that you have been giving to Acme Charities for seven years. Wow, that, that's amazing. The difference that you have made over those seven years is almost immeasurable. Thank you for being a part of that, right? If we can take that in some very simple segmentation and some very simple messaging and what I have found is that using that, again, I, I call it uh, consistent but not consecutive, using that and treating them as a separate segment, they're responding wildly to it. Um, and they are actually also converting, quote unquote, to more regular giving, quarterly, monthly, making commitments, right? That, oh, I've been doing that anyway. This is an easy step for me to do because we're conveying the message that you have done this, do you, do you want to do a little more? And because usually the answer is, yeah, I fed one person. If I can feed five by just giving you my credit card number, excellent. Let's do it. Right. Yeah. So rather than treating them as someone who gave X months ago, you're treating them as someone who has been an active supporter in one way or another for a certain number of years. Mm -hmm. So it's not I think uh, the analogy here is it's not just what have you done for me lately or you're only as good as your last donation. It's you've yes. been supporting us That's for this it. long period of time and helping uh, the community that we're serving. That's it. That's it. The, the analogy that I will often use is, you know, you know, that friend that you look at their, their name in your contacts list and you think I should call them. It's been way too long. Um, and it feels like you just had lunch with them, but actually it was two and a half years ago. And you pick up the call, you pick up the phone, you call them or you text them. And it's like, no time has passed at all. And then you do meet for lunch and you're like, I love this. You're wonderful. Why don't we do this more often? That's who these friends are. Yep. Because the reality is they're most likely fine with us because they're thinking, yeah, of course I support Acme. Of course I feed hungry people. Of course I rescue pets. They're not thinking, oh, I haven't written a check in 14 months or 16 months or whatever it is. They're thinking, yes, I. they're walking around with their capes on going, mm -hmm. I feed hungry people. And then when we do reopen it in their minds, we've always been present. We've always been there. Yes, there are some. Yes, there are some that go, they didn't hear from us. They haven't heard from us. They don't know what's happening. And they are a little ticked off and they are a little harder to renew. Yes, absolutely true. But I'm also convinced that there is a group that is walking around going, I love them. I love that organization. I love what they do. I'm a part of it. And we go, yeah, but you haven't written a check in two years, right? So let's shift our story to them based upon the story they're telling us. So what should then nonprofits be doing? How can we modify our current segmentation practices, data analysis practices, whatever they are, the way, ultimately the way that we perceive people? How do we reevaluate it and, and do it better? I think, the, I think the first step truly is um, acknowledge, well, actually the first step is, is committing to data literacy, right? Um, 
I'm an actor. There is nothing except having done all those light plots in undergraduate and, you know, um, uh, we used to call it torture and design, torture and decor, um, where, right? Um, but there's nothing in my background that makes me an Excel person. There's nothing in my background that makes me a data person. I took algebra twice, three times, for crying out loud. Um, but I learned early on that we needed data. And so I forced myself to get good at it. So I don't hold anybody accountable to something I haven't done myself. <laughs> I do think that data literacy and, and techno technological literacy are two of the greatest skills that fundraisers can invest in right now. So understanding and working to understand the different types of segmentation. That, that's number one, valuing it for yourself, valuing it for your staff. Then secondly, acknowledging that there are different types of segmentation than what our normal sort of binary lapsed, not lapsed, current lapsed, right, will look, look at and taking the time to invest it, invest in it. Um, I know this sounds kind of highfalutin and a little you know, high values, we are in a position as a profession where we are going to have to be the leaders and the advocates for using data and technology in fundraising because it is a governance issue, but our boards and our leadership are looking at bottom line and they're looking at how fast can we raise, how much money, how quickly. It really does become incumbent upon us to take a kind of frontline in the trenches leadership role and stop and go, look, here is the ROI and the value of investing in data. Here and, and bring to the table, look, I took the time and here's what I found. I found these thousand donors that over 10 years have contributed over a million dollars, whatever the number may be. And we're going to invest in this strategy. We're going to test it and we're going to find out exactly how they do respond. So the short answer is taking the time to dig a little deeper. And year end is a really good time to do it. I know, you know, I know year end processes are flying and, you know, we're approaching fourth quarter at a mad pace. And so a lot of things, but taking the time to invest in, how can I look a little deeper to find the things I haven't traditionally seen? So are there any universal starting points for actually looking at the data. Like I, I, I really like the example that you brought up of someone who hasn't given in 14 months, you know, that doesn't mean that they're not still a recurring or repeating donor, that they're completely lapsed and, and you've lost them mm -hmm. uh, and that you need a campaign to get them back, right? Because otherwise they're gone for good. Um, so are there, without those specific mileposts of one year, six months, two years, whatever it might be, how do we know where to start segmenting, where to make that switch between one bucket or another? Or is it that everybody should be in multiple buckets, but then they might get different communication? And I, I think segmentation is absolutely critical. I think we can get into over-segmentation and make ourselves crazy. If you have a full-time data person and you have the sophistication to do multiple layers of, of, of segmentation and then deliver messaging on that, bravo you. Um, you are the exception, not the norm. Um, quite honestly, one of the most simple things to do, and I'm kind of giving away the farm here a little bit uh, because this is how I do it when I audit it. Most, if not all of our CRM platforms have roll-up uh, summary fields. First gift, uh, first gift, first gift date, last gift, last gift date, second gift, right? Second gift date. If you can get those six fields, you can find these people. Because what you do is you look at their first gift and go, show me everybody whose first gift was five or more years ago. 
And then you look at their last gift and go, show me everybody from this group who's five or more years ago was their first gift. Show me everybody whose last gift was in the last two to three years. And now you start to see this group of people. Oh, wow. Boris first gave to us in 2010. His second gift was in 2014. His last gift was in 2021. And we start to see, oh, okay. Boris looks like a lapsed person. And that's a bad example because I did say 2021, but even so, right? He looks like a lapsed person, but when we see, or using a summary field like total number of gifts, look at a lapsed donor and you see a total number of gifts of 10. That's a huge clue that, oh wait, he's been far more active than just this last gift renewal. Because the other thing we do, if we're if we are doing and a lot still aren't, I know that. But if we are doing um, a lapsed renewal, so we're sending a specific thank you letter to a lapsed renewal and treating them as somebody who lapsed but then came back, but we look at that behavior, they have lapsed and come back multiple times. We're just retreating, you know, it's going out to that friend that you've missed um, and saying, okay, now catch me up again. What's been going on in your life? You know, and your friend's like, come on, we did this last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that friend analogy that, that you made before, I'd never thought about it that way, but I absolutely love it because it's instantly something that I think all of us can relate to where we haven't been able to catch up with friends, but we still view them as close friends that we may have been friends with since childhood, but we just don't get to speak to on a regular basis because life. They're also that friend that we describe of, I haven't talked to them in five years, but if I called them tomorrow and said, you know, I have an emergency, they'd be the one that would be there. Yeah. That's who these donors are. They want to sit and, and metaphorically have lunch with us. They want to know what's going on, but because they care and because they've shown that they care, yet they'll still give us a gift if we ask directly and ask right. But let's take the time to, you know, take them out for a beer. Not literally. <laughs> or maybe literally. I maybe. mean, some of them might be literally, you know. Yeah, or uh, send them some beer because they might be in a different part of the country and you're not traveling with COVID. Yeah, let's uh, not get to, into shipping alcohol and all of the ramifications of that. But yes, there's delivery services. There's delivery services. <laughs> advocating anything illegal here. Um, so, Clay, this is great stuff. I'm sure we could talk about a whole lot more things, but I like that we've really zeroed in on one particular thing that I think nonprofits. Uh, should be thinking about right now, especially as year-end giving uh, season is upon us. Mm. Um, if they haven't started yet, what's the first thing they should do? I feel like we kind of covered this actually. Audit the data. Yeah. Audit the data. Take a look at it. Take the time to invest in it. Either either hire a firm to do it. Sorry, shameless plug for me and the many firms that do database audits. Or you know, take take the time. Um, to pull all the data out of the CRM and just run some quick analysis on it. Use those summary fields to take the time to look and see. And while you're at it, take the time to look at your data quality. How many addresses do you have? How many emails? Where are you missing phone numbers? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because if we can't reach our donors, then right, it's pointless. Perfect. I think that's a great place where everybody should be starting. Mm -hmm. Even if you think you've been looking at your data all this time, look again. Look for those yep. people that don't neatly fit into the buckets that you've previously made and talk to them as a human being with their own life uh, rather than someone who lapsed off your list for X amount right. of months. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Um, what's a tool or resource, Clay, that you recommend nonprofit uh, leaders and fundraising professionals, I guess, specifically should check out? 
I know you want to talk tech. I know technology. I know there's tons of stuff out there and there's all kinds of great resources. Um, if it's not on your bookshelf, if you haven't read it, I think every fundraiser everywhere needs to once a year read uh, Harold J. Cy Seymour's Designs for Fundraising, published in 1967, um, before we had technology and digital and whatever, all the things that we have. The principles in that book are the same principles today. We're still using the same techniques. We're still using the same strategies. And he's absolutely right in the importance of relationship and the importance of donor behavior and how they tell us. Cy Seymour isn't telling, it doesn't say anything in the book that I haven't said today, to be perfectly honest. Um, so that 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 is always my go-to resource. And I actually do reread it once a year just to refresh uh, and, and keep myself focused. And I'm sure if it's that popular, they have a digital version so you don't have to get it. No, it was written in 1967. You're going to get a beat up old copy from. They don't you know, print it anymore. There's no new edition. Nope. Oh, sounds like an opportunity to buy them all up and. Uh, no, don't do that. Oh no, no, that would be bad. <laughs> and donate them to nonprofits. There you go. Yeah, good, 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 good. That was a good recovery. It's readily available. You can find it absolutely from your favorite uh, bookstore, your favorite online source uh, for books. Um, but it really is just a, a phenomenal book. Just, just for and just for um, uh, perspective, uh, Cy Seymour is who Jerry Panis learned from and developed his theories from. Right. So this is generational. Uh, this is generational knowledge being passed down to it and to us all uh, as fundraisers. I learned from people who learned from Jerry. So there's you know a whole lot of generational approach there. Awesome. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes as well as anything else that we uh, touched on in this episode and some definitions of some of the terms that uh, we talked around uh, that might be helpful as well. Um, if anyone wants to follow up with you directly, Clay, what's the best way to do that? What should they do? Uh, LinkedIn is the easiest. You can pretty much find me anywhere online under T. Clay Buck. It's usually at T. Clay Buck or some variation thereof. Uh, LinkedIn is a great place to find me. I am on Twitter uh, with an alarming frequency. Um, and uh, my Twitter handle is uh, at T. Clay Buck. Um, but you can also visit my website at tcbfundraising.com. And we'll have all those links uh, as well as the show notes uh, and takeaways for nonprofits to get started with all the awesome things that you were just recommending they do. Clay, thank you so much for joining thank us today. Talking about this stuff. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And thank you everybody for joining us today for the Nonprofit Hero Factory. If you like this type of content, talking about what nonprofit leaders can and should be doing to increase the number of supporters, to activate more heroes for their cause with experts like Clay, please, please subscribe and leave us a review, leave us a rating on your favorite platforms, on iTunes, wherever you might listen to us so that more people can discover the show and benefit from people like Clay and all of our other amazing guests. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Thank you all for watching and listening to the Nonprofit Hero Factory. We hope this episode has given you some ideas and strategies for creating more heroes for your cause and a better world for all of us. Please be sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what you think by leaving a review.